to do something I've never done before on a Sunday morning. I'm going to start with a short story. It, uh, some of you know the name J.B. Phillips. Uh, he wrote the, uh, the New Testament in modern English, uh, very popular with a lot of folks for many, many years. He was a 20th century English Bible uh, teacher and, and a scholar. He was a, he was a very uh, adamant apologist for the faith. And he also, he wrote a number of books, but one of his books entitled New Testament Christianity has this story in the introduction, which I think is, is very significant. It's a story that will sort of turn our hearts to, to uh, the topic and the text this morning that I just want to share a few thoughts on after I have read this to you. Once upon a time, a very young angel was being shown around the splendors and glories of the universes by a senior and experienced angel. Now, to tell the truth, a little angel was beginning to be tired and a little bored. He'd been shown whirling galaxies and blazing suns, infinite distances in this deathly cold of interstellar space. And to his mind, there seemed to be an awful lot of it all. Finally, he was shown the galaxy of which our planetary system is but a small part. And as the two of them drew near to the star, which we call our sun, and to its circling planets, the senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere turning very slowly on its axis. It looked as dull as a dirty tennis ball to the little angel whose mind was now filled with the size and glory of what he had seen. I want you to watch that one particularly, said the senior angel, pointing with his finger to that little planet. Well, it looks very small and rather dirty to me, said the little angel. What's special about that one? That, replied the senior, is the visited planet. Visited? said the little one. You don't mean visited by, oh, indeed I do. That ball, which I have no doubt looks to you small and insignificant and not perhaps over clean, has been visited by our young Prince of Glory. And at these words, he bowed his head reverently. But how, queried the younger one, do you mean that our great and glorious Prince with all these wonders and splendors of his creation and millions more that I'm sure I haven't even seen yet, went down to, in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why should he do a thing like that? It isn't for us, said his senior a little stiffly, to question his wise, except that I must point out to you that he is not impressed by size and numbers as you seem to be. But that he really went, I know. And all of us in heaven who know anything know that. And as to why he became one of them, well, how else do you suppose could he visit them? The little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures on that floating ball? I do, and I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. Close your eyes for a moment, said the senior angel, and we'll go back in what they call time. While the little angel's eyes were closed and the two of them moved nearer to the spinning ball, 
it stopped its spinning, spun backwards quite fast for a while, and then slowly resumed its usual rotation. Now look, and as the little angel did, there appeared here and there on this dull surface of the globe little flashes of light, some merely momentary and some persisting for quite a time. Well, what am I seeing now, he asked. You are watching this little world as it was some thousands of years ago. Every flash and glow of light that you see is something of the Father's knowledge and wisdom, breaking into the minds and the hearts of people who live upon the earth. It's not many people you see can hear his voice or understand what he says, even though he is speaking gently and quietly to them all the time. Why are they so blind and deaf and stupid? asked the little angel. It is not for us to judge them. We who live in the splendor have no idea what it is like to live in the dark. We hear the music and the voice like the sound of many waters every day of our lives, but to them, well, there is much darkness and much noise and much distraction upon the earth. Only a few who are quiet and humble and wise hear his voice. But watch, for in a moment, you will see something truly wonderful. The earth went on turning and circling around the sun and then Quite suddenly, in the upper half of the globe, there appeared a light, tiny but so bright in its intensity that both the angels hid their eyes. Oh, I think I can guess, said the little angel in a low voice. That was the visit, wasn't it? Yes, that was the visit. The light himself went down there and lived among them. But in a moment, you will be able to tell, even with your eyes closed, the light will go out. But why? But why could he not... Could he not bear their darkness and stupidity? Did he have to return here? No, it wasn't that, said the senior angel. His voice was stern and sad. They failed to recognize him for who he was. Or at least only a handful knew him. For the most part, they preferred their darkness to his light. And in the end, they killed him. The fools! The crazy fools! They don't deserve neither you nor I nor any other angel knows why they were so foolish and so wicked. Nor can we say what they deserve or don't deserve, but the fact remains, they killed our Prince of Glory while he was man amongst them. And that, I suppose, was the end? I see the whole earth has gone black and dark. All right, I won't judge them, but, but surely that is all they could expect. Wait, we are still far from the end of the story of the visited planet. Watch, but be ready to cover your eyes again. In utter blackness, the earth turned round three times, and then there blazed with unbearable radiance a point of light. What now? said the little angel, shielding his eyes. Oh, they killed him all right, but he conquered death. The thing most of them dread and fear all their lives. He broke and conquered. He rose again, and a few of them saw him, and from then on became his utterly devoted slaves. Oh, thank God for that, said the little angel. Amen! Now open your eyes. The dazzling light is gone. The prince has returned to his home of light. But watch the earth now. As they looked, in place of the dazzling light, there was a bright glow which throbbed and pulsated. And then as the earth turned many times, little points of light spread out. A few flickered and died. But for the most part, the lights burned steadily 
as they continued to watch in many parts of the globe, there was a glow over many areas. Do you see what is happening? Asked the senior angel. The bright glow is the company of loyal men and women he left behind. And with his help, they spread the glow. And now lights begin to shine all over the earth. Yes, yes, said the little angel impatiently. But, but how does it end? Will the little lights join up with each other? Will it, will it all be light as it is in heaven? His senior shook his head. We simply do not know, he replied. It is in the Father's hands. Sometimes it is agony to watch. And sometimes it is joy unspeakable. The end is not yet. But now I am sure you can see why this little ball is so important. He has visited it. He is working his plan upon it. I love that story. Oh my gosh. The sense of awe and wonder, amazement on the part of the angels that their, their prince of glory would do something so outrageous as to visit our planet and love us creeping, crawling creatures. There is a sense of awe in this story that, that, that we can miss in this season where things are often so familiar and, and we've gone through these motions so many times, haven't we? But friends, we are in the season when we celebrate the visited planet. This is Advent. This is Advent when we anticipate His coming. Historically, the church remembers and anticipates to try to, to relive His coming as a baby. But the church also anticipates the not yet. His second coming, when He returns, not as a baby, but as, as a ruling Lord, as a conquering in the Christmas story recorded in Luke's gospel, he tells us about some pretty enthusiastic angels who bring the announcement of that visit to some shepherds who are not expecting the news. That would probably be a great understatement. Uh, and we heard bits and pieces of it from our, our kids this morning. Our Advent candle lighters read a portion of that. And so we're continuing through our historic journey of the uh, traditional themes of Advent on these four Sundays and, and, and listening check, what's, what's our theme for today? You said that a bit tentatively. Joy. Yes, it is joy. It is joy. So let's stand and let's read the uh, story of the announcement from Luke's Gospel in chapter 2. Together, here we go. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, 
praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. And one of my, it's, it's one of my favorite parts of the Christmas story, that, that amazing drama that unfolded in, in the fields that night. It's just so fun to, to imagine. So picture it. It's, it's, a, it's a dark night over the fields in Bethlehem. Now, this is a, this is a first century Palestine, pre-electricity, no light pollution, dark. It's dark, dark. It's really dark. And, and it's quiet. There's, there's no traffic noise. I imagine the shepherds are dozing near the fire when suddenly the sky explodes. The sky explodes with light. And shortly behind that, there's, there's music. There is, there, they, they are staring into the faces of, of countless numbers of aliens. It's just not something that happened every day. And what does one of the uh, aliens say to them? Do not be afraid. Oh, no kidding. Can you imagine how terrified these shepherds were? You know, they, they're Jews. They have an awareness of the history of their people and there have been appearances of angels in the past. There have been what we sometimes call theophanies, the, the, the appearance of, of God in the form of, of a man or an angel. And, and very often it caused a response in some of their people of long ago that, oh boy, this is the end. I'm in big trouble here. And so the angel rightly says, do not be afraid. Can we put that next slide on the screen, Rachel? Here was his announcement, I bring you good news of great joy. The reason not to be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Okay, so I want you to just imagine for a moment that you are one of those Palestinian shepherds that has just 
awaken to this announcement and this explosion in the sky. And you hear those words, good news, town of David, Savior, Messiah, the Lord. So ask a person nearby who is also a first century shepherd, what do you hear? What do you hear in those words? See what your fellow shepherd thinks. What do you hear in those words? Talk about it for just a couple of minutes. All right, all you shepherds. Let's bring it in here and talk about what you've heard. Let's, let's just assume that you obeyed the angel and, and you got over your fright and you were actually able to think after that had happened. What, what do you hear? What do you hear? Dave? Okay. 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 Hope and joy to the people of the town. Overwhelming. Cool. What else? What else do you hear? Come on, you were talking about something. Are we the only ones? That's such a good question. Yeah. Does anyone else know? Are we the only ones? Say more about that in a minute. Carolyn? And why us? Oh, yes, absolutely. What else? Do you know there's some historical evidence that the religious leaders in some towns didn't permit sheep in the city at after a certain point they uh, they had to stay out in the fields except of course for passover but yeah so there's that sense of isolation on the part of the shepherds what else <laughs> life is never going to be the same yeah good rachel what were you going to say can you imagine when they were telling people and folks asked them well so where did you hear this <laughs> you have no idea and, and nor are you going to believe this. Yes. And, and those, those words, good news, David, Savior, Messiah. You know, more than likely, I appreciate what you say, Rachel, because they, they had become maybe just words that they'd heard many, many times. They certainly would be words that were shaped by where they lived and the position that they found themselves in life so that they probably heard those words, at least partially, if not completely, through more of what I would call a nationalistic or a political lens. Finally, finally, God was making good on his promise of a Messiah. One who would, who would come and make things right. One who would finally come and and restore his people, God's people, to their rightful place, which would certainly include, you know, ridding them of Roman rule, which would mean the end of taxes by the Romans and the corruption of the government, making life better for them. So hearing those statements through nationalistic, uh, political sort of hopes and, and ambitions. I also think, a couple of you referred to this, that they might have been wondering why this incredibly important historic announcement has been made to them. Because if it had to do with the restoration of Israel... And political changes, which is how they may have heard it, who's going to believe them? 
what are they going to be able to do about it? In that first century, and, and scholars are sort of divided on this, but there, there is evidence that at least in some places, shepherds were often near the bottom rung of the social ladder. In the eyes of many people, they were thought of in a similar way that tax collectors were thought of, not kindly. It had not always been that way. You know, we, we think back to patriarchal times, shepherds were, were wealthy. Shepherds were respected. David wrote, the, the Lord is my shepherd. That was a good thing in, in David's mind. But the attitude had shifted over the centuries, uh, just in terms of cities growing and taking up more space, in terms of, of invading people groups that would come in and change the dynamic and the perspective and the attitude towards those who were doing more of the, the menial labor. Anyway, the Mishnah, which is Judaism's uh, written record of the oral law, reflects some of this first century attitude. We find in it a passage that refers to shepherds as incompetent. And it states that no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. This was, this was religious authority of the day. There was a saying in that day that, that to buy anything from a shepherd was to buy stolen property. They were viewed as thieves. One historian points out that shepherds were deprived of civil rights. They, they could not fulfill judicial offices or be admitted in court as witnesses. They were officially labeled, and we see this in Scripture, sinners by the religious leaders. And that was a term that was used for a class of despised people. And it is to those people, knowing full well who they were talking to, that the angels on assignment from God looked into their faces and said, I bring you good news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, there's no getting around the fact that the greatest announcement in the history of the world came to those who were viewed as the lowest of the low, at least in some parts of society. Friends, what does that say to us about the heart of our God? What does that say about God's character? What does that say about his desire and his intent? It's remarkable. And what does it say about the announcement itself? Well, I think it's talking about something more than national and political change. Because those things don't tend to bring joy for very long. Remember, this is good news of great joy. You know, in the day-to-day, -day, 
we get good news that changes perhaps in a few days, a few weeks, maybe months, maybe four years. And then we come to the next term. So let's talk for just a few minutes about that announcement. I bring you news of just a little bit of joy that you might find worthwhile. Oh, no, 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 that, I guess that's not what he said. No, I bring you news of great joy that will be for all the people. Not just a little joy, not just some joy, not just any joy, great joy that will be for all the people. That's quite a statement. That's a whole lot of joy. So, what is joy? I go back and forth with this all the time. Joy, happiness, definition of joy, according to Webster. Intense and especially ecstatic or exultant happiness. You feel that way when the Broncos beat the Patriots. That is joy. But it doesn't last when they lose the next week. It's the expression or manifestation of such feeling. The emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. It's also described as delight. Happiness. Happiness is defined as a state of well-being and contentment. Joy is even used to describe happiness. A pleasurable or satisfying experience, the, the quality of or state of being happy, good fortune, pleasure, contentment, and joy. So, is there a technical difference? It, it's, it's not clearly defined, but what I do believe is that, that joy slash happiness are some things or is something that people are going through life searching for. Because both definitions include a sense of well-being. How is your being this morning? Is it well? You know, if, if, if anything, joy in terms of what Advent joy is intending is much more intense kind of defies circumstances which maybe happiness or a lesser joy doesn't do as effectively. Do a Google search sometime, the joy of, and just type in anything, painting, cooking, marriage, home brewing, fly fishing. There's joy of statistics. How can there be joy in statistics? I'm sorry. You engineers, finance people, you mathematicians... We pray for you. We really do. <laughs> People are looking for contentment and a sense of well-being in many places through a variety of activities. And to find that is to find a, a sense of, of joy. To me, the more important question is, is, is where are we looking for joy or happiness? And when we find it, Will it last? It's interesting. Psychology Today did a report a few years ago on the number of books 
that were published on the topic of happiness, and they were looking back to the beginning of, of the millennia. So there had been 50 books published in the year 2000 on the topic of happiness. Eight years later, there were more than 4,000 books published on the topic of happiness. And I would suggest to you that humanity's quest for joy, for happiness, that is rooted in a sense of well-being and contentment, it's only going to be satisfied, that, that sense of it is well with my soul in a relationship with God, because that is what we were created for. We were created by God to live in relationship with God. And the reason that the angel announced great joy is because the possibility of great joy in the lives of humans was now on the table. God had acted. The Messiah, the Savior had come. God had come near to fallen and broken humanity like never before. In the birth of the baby, Jesus, God's Son in human flesh, the ultimate experience of well-being and contentment was made possible for those who would believe and follow Him. It's what we were made for. And so, if I can send you with one point today, this is what I hope that you will remember. Joy in the sense of well-being and contentment and satisfaction of the soul. That sense of, it's all coming down around me, but I'm okay. That sense of wellness, well-being, can only be found through God and what God has done because that is the joy in which God lives. God exists in joy. God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they live with the ultimate sense of well-being. Joy permeates the presence of God. There's a verse in the Old Testament, Nehemiah, chapter 8. You, you may remember some of the history. Uh, the people of Israel had, had fallen away from God and Nehemiah and Ezra were, were leading them back to God and rebuilding the wall and, and the temple and leading them back to worship. And, and as the people of Israel stood listening to Ezra read the words of Scripture to them, they wept. They just wept and wept and wept because they realized that they had, they had neglected this, this great God who had called them into relationship with himself. And Nehemiah says to them, don't weep any longer. Today is a day for rejoicing. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not your joy will give you strength. It's the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy that comes from God. Another uh, verse in, in Psalm 16 talks about, In your presence, O God, there is fullness of joy. Some translators choose to render that, You fill me with joy in your presence. 
it's not so much the idea that we go into the presence of God and he gives us a little piece of his joy. That's not what the scripture is getting at. God's children have been given the gift of God's spirit living within them. And so we are indwelled by the presence of God. And when we live into that, we are flooded with the joy that flows from him because God lives in joy. You with me? Does that make sense? It's, it's not like anything that we experience from anything else that we derive joy or happiness in this life because it is not the primary joy that is ours in relationship with the God who created us for himself. Some of you know the name John Piper. I don't know if there's anybody who talks more clearly about God's happiness or joy. He writes this. He says, God is happy because he delights in himself. I find that that never brings me happiness. I don't know about you. You know, delighting in myself Wow, is that a dead end. It's just a train wreck. God, however, is happy because he delights in himself. And here's what Piper says. God would be unjust if he valued anything more than what is supremely valuable. That's our problem. We value things that aren't supremely valuable and we wonder why it is we're not happier. Why are we not joy-filled? God is smart enough to value what is supremely valuable, that is himself, therefore he values himself. Piper says, if he did not take infinite delight in his own glory, he would be unrighteous. I would also add he would be an idolater. Because it is right to take delight in a person in proportion to the excellence of their glory. God delights in God's self. Father, Son, and Spirit just live with ultimate joy. And here's the thing. Through that baby that was born that we celebrate in this Advent season, we are being invited into this circle of joy. I can't even imagine that. I mean, it just makes any party that we've ever attended pale in comparison. We've been invited into the party that is the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit into the, to the beauty and the wonder of their life together. That's what Jesus was praying for in John 17 as he prayed for his followers. As he was getting ready to go to the cross and then return to the Father, he prayed for their unity and for their oneness that they would be in him and he in them just as Jesus and the Father were in one another. It is, it is that, that circle of joy. So think about the angel's announcement again. Great joy that will be for all the people. In the birth of Jesus Christ, God delights. In the presence of that child, there is the fullness of the joy of God that God has in himself because that child was God in human form, the son taken on human flesh. Those who come into the presence of God through faith in his son, the the reality of the fullness of joy of God becomes a part of their lives. So if we understand what God has done for us, 
then the salvation that he offers to us through his son, in that there is the possibility of the fullest measure of lasting joy in our lives. And that is for this life and carries on into eternity. There are lesser joys in life, to be sure. But I'm finding more and more as I get older, I just don't have the time to be investing in those things. It is a waste of time thinking that I'm going to find joy that satisfies my soul in anything other than the presence, the delight, the wonder, the glory, the beauty of who God is and what he has done for me and for you who are his followers, what he has done through his son, Jesus. On the religious social ladder, there are no upper class people. Everyone is a shepherd when being measured against the holiness of God. But the good news is that God loves us so much that he sent his son to become the sacrifice that would pay for our sin and restore us into the relationship for which we were created, a relationship with God who lives in eternal joy. That's Advent joy. Praise team, why don't you guys come up and prepare us to respond. Advent joy is talking about the joy that comes from God and rests upon and indwells the lives of those who put their faith and their trust in his son. Are you a child of God? Have you received through faith the salvation that he freely offers through his son? You know, if you're here this morning and and you don't know the answer to that, I I hope you won't go without talking to me or talking to to someone Ask them, what about this joy that I can have? What about God's joy that I can have in my life because of his son, Jesus? Let us us talk with you about that and let us pray with you for that. That that you you can find in this season, if you haven't found it already, the joy, the satisfaction, the happiness that, that carries you through this life because you were in relationship with God. You know the smartest thing those shepherds did was believe what the angels told them and they went and they checked it out for themselves. If you don't know that joy, check it out for yourself. Do that this morning before you go. Amen.